listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Welcome to Grave Discussions. I am your host, Barnabas. And I am your co-host, Samael. And welcome to a special episode, episode number 82, All Work and No Play. And it does not make Samael and Barnabas very, very dull boys. Now, actually, we're pretty uh, pumped to be coming back with you guys uh, for another episode. And today we're going to be talking about none other than Stanley Kubrick's 1980 adaptation of The Shining. I watched it yesterday for the first time in about 10 to 12 years, and it's still pretty good, and we will get into the details more later. Yeah, exactly. With Dr. Sleep coming out, we really kind of wanted to uh, go back to the Overlook Hotel and examine this movie again, and kind of, you know, talk about what we think is going to be relevant in Dr. Sleep and how, uh, you know, the implications are going to present themselves and unfold and stuff. So that should be a cool discussion, but we're going to get into that a little bit later on in our main segment. First, as always, we got to give a shout out to our host network, Sports Radio Detroit. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look up SRD Sports Radio Detroit. That's SRD, Sports Radio Detroit, and you can find them on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Yeah, we're pretty much everywhere, guys. You can also check out all the other awesome shows. And one uh, quick special thing as well, uh, for all you sports fans out there, SRD does have a really cool promotion going on with uh, Fanatics, uh, where you can buy all sorts of sports memorabilia. And if you're a Detroiter or just a Michigan sports fans there's a lot of cool stuff you can buy so go to the srd site you can uh, go to the about us check out the fanatics thing and then basically anything you buy from fanatics helps out srd and helps keep uh, shows like ours going so go do that as well if you want but big shout out to them yeah if you like sports ball then you can definitely go do that so uh as always we're going to start off the real show here at Grave Discussions with the horror news. Uh, And, you know, there really hasn't actually been a ton in the way of, like, breaking news. So we've got two news articles for you today and a little bit different with uh, four trailers. So let's start off with the first article here. Sam, what is this? So they just finished filming the new Wrong Turn. Also, they finished filming Halloween Kills. Oh, yeah, I heard about that, too. There are some cool set photos and stuff, but... Yeah, a lot of shit got leaked. Yeah. This one, though, well, a lot of stuff got leaked by, I think, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and, you know, some of them, too. But, uh, yeah, there was some stuff. But this one is about the new Wrong Turn film uh, coming at us from director Mike P. Nelson. And this is actually, I think, the sixth film, if I'm not mistaken. I think seventh. Really? Holy shit. Yeah, Wrong Turn 6 came out like two years ago or something. I just I think you're right. I got the Blu-ray like, and that was the most... I had the Wrong Turn collection and then just Wrong Turn 6 because it wasn't part of the collection because uh, it came out after the 
initial release of that collection. Damn. I, yeah, so here's the thing. I have seen the first one, as I think a lot of horror fans probably have <laughs> in their time. And uh, it was pretty cool. You know, kind of Hills Have eyes um, And then I skipped, like, the rest of them. I saw four. And from what I remember, it wasn't that great. If I recall correctly, that was that one with, like, the reality show or something. I don't know if you've seen that one, but <laughs> that one was not all that great yeah uh and i've heard that the sequels for the most part are pretty shit so i don't know how i feel about this one i enjoyed honestly enjoyed the first and the second okay the rest i have not seen uh my friend brian tyler aka woodsy toast 69 on xbox he uh he listens to the show and like he really he said he enjoyed all the wrong turn movies uh. so I mean, it's just the same with us with Friday the 13th, you know? Like, we're going to enjoy all of them, even though, like, most of them are hunks of junk. I mean, yeah, it's it's debatable, you know, on which ones are, like, good movies and which ones are not. Jason X is bad. Jason goes to hell is bad. But they're enjoyable, you know? And these these movies are definitely enjoyable, too. I mean, you've got these, like, inbred, you know, cannibals or whatever. I'm down for body count movies, bro. All the time, whenever... As long as the cinematography and the acting is good, mm. as long as there's no, oh no, what are we going to do? Like, right. well, I'm fine. I don't know. I mean, this one's still probably going to have stupid characters, but this one I think is a little bit different because again, I haven't seen them all, but I think all the other movies, uh, involve like the same, uh, inbred mutant cannibals. This one, I guess is going to have some, uh, new characters, uh, including, uh, ones called, let's see here, Deer Skull, Ram Skull, Wild Boar Skull, and Wolf Skull. So I don't know if they're going to be like animal themed or something. But yeah, it sounds like Larry the Lumberjack. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's the protagonist. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, apparently um, they're going to be a, a group of unlucky friends, as always, who go to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia to spend a couple days hiking and they are confronted by the Foundation, a community of people who have lived in the mountains since before the Civil War. Sounds like some um, cannibal holocaust shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I mean, it's a cool locale, and uh, I just hope that it isn't pretty much the same as all the other Wrong Turn movies, but... It is. <laughs> probably. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that one, though. Uh, there really isn't too much more information, but I think they just finished uh, filming, so probably expect it pretty soon. Next up, uh, the last article technically for this episode, uh, is a pretty disappointing one if you're a fan of any of the Fox horror movies, which include Alien, Predator, uh, The Innocents, The Fly, The, the, the Fly, Omen, a bunch of stuff. Animal Paradise, Day of the Earth, so still, yeah. Young Frankenstein, and Jennifer's Body. So basically what's going on, uh, if you guys are not aware, Disney actually... Uh, purchased like the rights to uh, these movies or bought out Fox or whatever it is they did and they are now apparently locking them all away in the vault the famed Disney vault where or rather the vault of greed where they basically lock all their movies away they don't let anybody show them they don't let anybody distribute them until they're good and ready to be like oh we've got a new release out let's charge you know 35 40 bucks for it and yeah so that's basically what's happening um this specifically mentions that they're restricting access pretty much to like theaters to show these movies again so that means if you ever are th- were thinking about going to see alien in the theater 
Well, you might not be able to. Yay, the fuck? I mean, let's be real. Who was going to target Jennifer's body for a fucking theater release? Yeah, that one's a little, you know, debatable. But Alien, Predator, you know, all those movies, like, those are pretty big draws when you're talking about, like, retro stuff at the movie theater. Um, There recently was an Alien showing that I almost went to but didn't. Now I regret it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, people definitely, like, pay money to go see them in the movie theater, you know? I mean, I guess it's just strategy. Like, would you rather have 100 people a day for, like, a week, $10 a ticket, go see Alien? Yeah. Or have, like, 10,000 people buy the $40 special edition 4K? (laughs) Yeah, it's all about the money for them. I mean, that's why why they have their whole vault thing in the first place. Like, you're never really going to see The Lion King anywhere else. Uh, except on Blu-ray when they decide to re-release it, or now, I guess, on fucking Disney Plus or whatever. Now, I'm going to be a hypocrite. I'm probably still going to get Disney Plus because I still want to see, like, The Mandalorian and all those other new shows that are going to be on there. But that said, uh, this is still, like, a scummy thing to do. I never really was a fan of it. But as a financial strategy, yeah, it makes sense. My problem is just that, like, there are a lot of small theaters that kind of rely on doing this kind of stuff, yeah. you know, every so often to like get a lot of people out and, you know, buy tickets there and stuff. And usually the tickets at those theaters are cheaper anyway than what you'd find at like AMC or MJR oh, yeah. and shit. So this is just going to be like sucking the money out of them, you know, AMC and all those theaters, like they don't really need the revenue from like showing Jurassic Park again. You scum Disney, you scum. They probably make a decent amount of money, but. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. So, I mean, I. But let's be real though. When if Disney does release like a 4K special sixty dollar edition of like Alien, like yeah, a lot of people aren't even gonna buy it because I got the Alien film collection, and let me tell you, I don't feel the need to own six of every movie. I already have three copies of The Shining, (laughs) fucking three copies of Halloween two, three copies of fucking Halloween. Yeah, there's already... I mean, it's Fox. There's already so many editions of, like, most of those movies. The only the only thing way I would buy it is if they released an edition where, like, Ridley Scott came to my house and fed me popcorn or something. Yeah. And I could ask him questions about Alien or whatever the fuck. Like, all right, then I would pay, you know, 50 bucks for, for a new edition. But otherwise, eh, there's already so many, you know. That's why Arrow and, and those guys are are successful at what they do because you can't really see any of those movies, you know, anywhere else. Yeah, Arrow and so. Shout Factory, Synapse Films, uh, Code mm-hmm. Red Films has a lot of rare ones. And, like, it's just these guys are awesome for, like, bringing all of these formerly only on, like, cheap $5 Walmart DVDs and mm-hmm. VHSs. Because, I mean, I never, like, I was never into Blu-ray until I got a new Xbox. And I saw all the Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Blue Underground, just all this stuff. And I was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Like, these are movies I want. I would walk by in the video store and someone had it returned the VHS, so I had no way of watching it. Mm. And then, you know, for those of us that bootleg films or like look up streaming, like sometimes you can't find it on a, find it on a streaming platform. Sometimes you can't even find the bootleg when you Google full movie, whatever. Yeah. So. No, some some of them are pretty hard to find. I mean, these are not, but, you know, I think Disney's probably going to start going after all those other distributors and copies and stuff like that because, you know, ultimately, they're kind of shit and they just care about the money. So, um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I guess 
all I'll say is if you wanted to go see any of these movies in the theater, see if they're out there now, go see them or like buy up a Blu-ray or whatever you want before it goes away. But let's move on from that. Uh, let's get into our trailers here. This first one is from director DC Hamilton called The Fair. It's coming out on Blu-ray and VOD November 19th. Like you mentioned to me earlier, really Twilight Zone-ish. Yeah. Black and white sometimes, I guess. Some parts of the trailer had full color. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this dude picks up this chick and then they crash and then she like disappears and then she reappears and then she disappears. And then she's all, you don't remember me? And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, so that's the gist of it. Yeah, it's definitely going to have uh, sci-fi elements for sure. I wonder if it is going to have, you know, some more horror elements. But it, it seems uh, like it's going to be that kind of uh, cyclical, you know, sort of story where it's like a re- repeating, looping kind of thing. And he's going to have to figure out what's going on as the movie progresses. It does look cool. The black and white and color you know, kind of turning into each other thing looks kind of cool. I just wonder how it's going to play out in the movie because in the trailer, it's like, oh, that's an interesting kind of gimmick, but what relevance is it going to have in the movie, you know? Because I don't want the whole movie to take place in a car. Yeah, I don't know. It probably won't, but it probably will. It would have to be a pretty short movie. Stop being optimistic. Hey, there was that movie Lock where it was literally just uh, Tom Hardy in a car for like however long that movie was that was the entire movie for real <laughs> yeah holy fuck thank I god i haven't seen that one and i love tom hardy apparently it's pretty good but i mean you know the con the premise itself is kind of difficult to to grasp you know but i don't know this one uh looks pretty cool it's just going to really depend on like where the story goes for me but um that one's coming out november 19th uh, and i did also want to mention I hope that the main actor's acting kind of improves because there were some parts of it where I was like, uh, yeah, not, not that great. Like his reaction to being spooked yeah. was kind of not believable. Yeah. Um, so that's the fair. Next up we have servant, uh, from another than M night Shyamalan. And this one's coming out November 28th on Apple TV plus, uh, which is another streaming platform that I'm probably not going to get, but this one looks uh, interesting, to say the least. Yeah, it looks kind of weird, and I like that they didn't really have that much exposition. Mm-hmm. In the trailer, they just showed, like, events in the movie, not in chronological order. So we're kind of like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, and I mean, it's a series, so there's enough material to just kind of pull ra- those random parts out. But There's a creepy baby doll, and it looks real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it does. I, when he first lifted it up, I, yeah, I, I was like, it was a real fuck? baby. Yeah. Um, cause it like, its arms flop down and stuff. And Dude, then, w- wouldn't it be awesome? Like if like they didn't reveal it was like a fake baby and like he lifted up by the legs and starts throwing it against the floor. Oh, man. Everyone would be like, what the fuck? And that then, would be crazy. And then at, after he'd done, he'd be like, you stupid doll. And then everyone in the audience would be like, whew. Like, yeah, that would have been actually pretty cool, but. I don't know. Maybe he does fucking abuse the doll. See, I got shock techniques. Yeah, no, you could could do it. But basically, the story kind of seems like it's going to revolve around this couple who lost their son, Jericho, uh, to some undisclosed uh, incident or reason. And they replaced him with this really lifelike doll uh, that was apparently the only thing that could keep the wife's like emotions at bay i don't know but now she's like 
crazy. Now they've broken down the walls of Jericho. Ah, uh-huh. break the walls down. Break down the walls. <laughs> We're about to rock. Yeah, put him in the walls of Jericho. I, I would love to see that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, her wrestling fandom aside. Yeah. Um, basically, this this uh, doll has replaced their son, and the wife is like all kinds of PTSD craze and everything, and. I guess they hire this weird girl to kind of be like the doll's nanny. I don't know. I'm guessing because, you know, the wife wants to really make it seem like, you know, it's alive and, oh, well, the the baby needs a nanny and stuff like that. But the girl's weird. And that's kind of about all we see. Um, But it does look like it's going to be pretty atmospheric knowing M. Night, there's going to be some kind of crazy twist. So I wonder what that's going to be. But, uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty good, you know, psychological thriller. So that one's coming out November 28th on Apple TV+. Next, we've got another adaptation, but this one actually looks kind of cool. Perfectly in time for the holiday season, we've got a new version of A Christmas Carol coming out uh, on an undisclosed date in December on BBC One and BBC iPlayer. So this is... uh, a British adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And the difference is that this one isn't family friendly. This one is going back to the roots of it as like a ghost story. Yeah, it seems super atmospheric. Uh, looked hella old. Mm-hmm. Everyone was dressed like douchebags. So. Yeah. But I like the the feeling in the air, you know, the atmosphere of it all. And, you know, Guy Pierce. Yeah, Guy Pierce plays Ebenezer Scrooge which is great. I would have never fucking thought that in my life. But I mean, if you've seen him in Lawless, you'd understand. Oh, he's a, he's a great actor. So I fully expect him to be amazing in this miniseries. Uh, and also, Andy Serkis uh, is going to be playing the Ghost of Christmas Past. I love him. I think he's a phenomenal actor as well. Whether he plays like a human character or one of his digital characters. Um, but that's awesome. And... This is coming from the creator of Peaky Blinders and the producers of Taboo. So it's going to have that dark, spooky kind of vibe to it. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. Imagine having a baby and then be like, let's name it. How about Guy? <laughs> hey, God. Like, yeah. How about Dude? How about Bro? <laughs> like, the fuck? It, it seemed like a more common name like back in the day, except it was either Guy back or Back in it was when, like, the 1800s? Probably, yeah. Is he a fucking vampire? <laughs> I, get, I don't know. I think it's like a common name in France, but it's like Guy or something. I'll pay money to see Guy Pierce play Dracula. You mean Guy Pierce? Guy. <laughs> uh, I think that would be kind of cool. He's just got that like uh, suave. Yeah, as a thing. Kind of thing, yeah. No, that would be interesting. Hmm. Maybe he should have been the new Dracula. Or him being Van Helsing. That would be cool. Yeah. I think he could pull that shit off. Fuck, if Hugh Jackman can do it, then I'd probably anybody And fucking can a, a potato <laughs> with a wig. <laughs> yeah, I love no, Hugh Jackman. No, no, no uh, disrespect to Hugh Jackman. I'm just saying, like, you wouldn't think of him as Van Helsing. So if he can do it, I mean, the guy Pierce is probably a more, more fitting uh, actor. But yeah, Christmas Carol, he's going to be a Scrooge. So that should be interesting coming out in December. And then this last one is uh, something that we did mention before. It's Color Out of Space, um, being directed by returning director Richard Stanley. Starring Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And this one's cool. It's an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft short story, which I haven't read, but a lot of people have said they really liked it, and it's really good, and the trailer looks bonkers. Yeah, it does look crazy. There's a meteorite, 
There's Nicolas Cage with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. There's Nicolas Cage's daughter writing shit on her forehead. There's the color pink and purple and neon everywhere. And it's bad shit. Yeah. So it, it kind of gave me uh, From Beyond vibes. And I, I don't think you've seen it yet. But there's a lot of like pink and stuff. And, you know, it's it's sci-fi horror. So there's like these weird monsters and shit. And that's actually um, also an H.P. Lovecraft inspired Oh. thing so you'd probably like it a lot but uh this movie reminds me of that mostly due to all like the pink and you know the craziness and shit so yeah nicholas cage looks like he's gonna go uh batch it crazy again um the visuals look awesome you know this firmly screams like sci-fi horror to me and i'm interested to see if there are going to be any like monsters and stuff or if this is going to be more of like a psychological thing but actually watching the trailer reminded me of that segment in a uh, creep show with stephen king the one where all the grass is oh yeah stuff. yeah when yeah. he like takes the goo or whatever out the meteorite and forgot what the <laughs> fuck happens and he's like starts growing moss on his body yeah he basically like he becomes a fucking plant yeah and then he shoots himself <laughs> imagine touching a meteor and then turning into a ficus that would be insane. I mean, but this one actually kind of looks similar. A meteor lands in like their yard, and uh, there's no moss. There's no moss, but it like causes, um, you know, the grass to grow greener and all this like weird flora to pop up, and and I guess it causes the family to go insane because they see this weird color everywhere and they just go crazy because of it. That's kind of the gist, and uh, but it looks it looks sweet. It looks dope. Yeah. Honestly, the visuals are. Something else. That's why I like movies like Mandy, Suspiria, mm. all those like really colorful visuals, like really stimulate the shit out of me. Yeah, I mean they keep your attention. Oh yeah, is the thing, and it kind of makes you contemplate. Like I don't know, just a lot. Like watching Mandy, I was <laughs> I had all these like existential thoughts and everything. You know, this one's probably going to be kind of the same, but um, yeah, get a, get to see uh, Nick Cage and family battle. A mutant extraterrestrial organism as it infects their minds and bodies. And uh, that one's coming out January 24th, 2020. I'm assuming it might hit theaters, but I'm not actually sure. If anything, it'll probably be out on Blu-ray or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about that one. So that's all the news, guys. Um, Now we're going to get into our main segment where we're going to be traveling back to the Overlook Hotel and uh, joining up with the Torrance family. But first... A few words from some other SRD shows. So stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Bryant. Catch me, E, and Brian on Pearson's Peace, 8 to 9 a.m. on Sports Radio Detroit Network, CRB, on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else you can find podcasting. Salad tossing might feel good. What? <laughs> <laughs> Out of Bounds Detroit Podcast. Tuesday morning and Friday mornings here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome back, fiends. So, as we uh, mentioned today on uh, the main segment here in Grave Discussions, we're going to be discussing The Shining. Specifically, Stanley Kubrick's 1980 feature film adaptation. And uh, with Dr. Sleep coming out, and probably actually already out by the time uh, you're listening to this episode, 
uh, we really kind of wanted to dive into like what The Shining is and how it's going to play into the new film. Now, interestingly enough, uh, as I, I think is famously known, you know, Kubrick's The Shining actually really kind of differs from Stephen King's novel. Uh, supposedly, the, the I haven't read either book, and I don't think you have either. So mm-hmm. that's that's where we're approaching this from uh, is uh, two people who have actually not read the books, so we don't really know the the relation. But apparently. Kubrick's film was very different, which is why Stephen King famously hated it. Um, his book uh, apparently was more of like a haunted hotel kind of thing where um, there were more supernatural elements like the the maze coming alive, I think was in the book and some other stuff and really played on the themes of like the dissolving of the family unit and the evils of alcohol because he was going through alcoholism at the time. And um, Kubrick really changed that. We'll talk about it. But now the new movie is a sequel to Kubrick's film, but apparently also is uh, pretty faithful to King's Dr. Sleep novel. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So um, so that's pretty interesting. So let's talk about The Shining. So this movie came out in 1980 by Kubrick, who I think at that point was already pretty you know, well-revered director. Yeah. And, um, you know, he really made this movie his own thing. Uh, Apparently he was in this process of like reading through books. Um, and uh, I saw this online actually on the trivia, but he was looking through books. He picked up, uh, Kings, the shining. And he, (laughs) I guess the stuff that he rejected, he would like throw at the wall (laughs) And then his secretary apparently said, like, um, you know, he picked something up and he didn't, th- there wasn't any noise. So that means that he, like, found his next project and it was The Shining. But he wanted to make The Shining more of, like, a psychological kind of a thing. I and think it worked. That's really what it ended up being. Yeah. So, um, you know, he brought in people who King actually said weren't really like the characters of, of Jack Torrance and Wendy Torrance and Danny Torrance that I envisioned, which is another reason why he didn't like it. He didn't like the casting of Jack Nicholson. He didn't like the casting of Shelley Duvall. I can't remember what he said about well, Danny. No offense but. to Stephen King, but I don't think he has... <laughs> he doesn't have a valid opinion to give about movies because we've seen how Stephen King like movies fan out. I mean, have you seen Maximum Overdrive? I haven't, but isn't that the one that he directed? That's like his I'm only saying. directorial. That's what I'm saying, piece of shit. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I still have to watch it. I know that it's kind of like a cult classic, but yeah, there are some good ones. You know, Carrie is very good. Creepshow. Yeah, when when they're helmed by like adequate directors and there's actual like production quality in it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Creepshow is good. You know. And but The Shining is definitely a, a different beast. But there are some stinkers, yeah. Like a lot of the other miniseries, like okay, he actually liked The Shining miniseries apparently because it was more faithful to his book. So I mean, I don't know. I guess from his perspective as an author, I kind of get it because it's like if you write something and somebody's like, "Hey, I'm going to adapt it," you kind of want to see like your work adapted, right? What Kubrick mostly did was like he. He kind of used it more for, like, inspiration and used, like, the same characters, 
names at least and like the same setting but it wasn't really the same i mean if i was an author and i've seen someone try to make and make a movie adaptation i would want to see their own spin on it i don't want to sit there and watch my book come to life because as i'm writing it that's that's when i'm envisioning everything that's when everything's happening that's Mm -hmm. i see everything in my head in my mind's eye if i see someone else's twisted mind like stanley kubrick i mean if you've seen clockwork orange you know this man is nuts so like i would have been more interested to see his take on it and I, i wouldn't care if he like you know got like too far from like the source material like mm-hmm. i wouldn't really care i want to like if i create a book if i if i have an idea i want to see your take on it i don't want to see my vision really on the screen if i wanted to see my vision on the screen i would write a screenplay mm-hmm. yeah i guess that's fair i mean i think that i'm kind of the same way because i feel like a lot of what happens in books anyway is very difficult to portray on screen especially because you just it's completely different mediums you know like with words you can convey so much more oh yeah technically i mean at least in your like imagination film is is an amazing medium but it it is kind of limited you know you you only have so many shots that you can put on the screen you only have so many scenes and sequences etc etc so usually due to budgetary restraints as well right (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's definitely important but um you know, but still, there's only so much you can do. But with a book, you can write however the fuck much you want. doesn't make it good, but you can still do that. You know, yeah, so. you can yammer on, you know. Yeah. Like they told us in fucking middle school when we started learning how to write essays. Quality, not quantity. So you yeah. can write all you want. You just sound like you're yammering on at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, as a filmmaker doing an adaptation, ex- yeah, y- you really kind of have to try and put it onto the screen as as best as you can but that doesn't mean that you can't you know sort of interpret things a little bit differently sometimes honestly actually a lot of adaptations do that but then i guess it really just depends on you know the the source uh author so for king himself i guess i I love stephen king but um for him he has just the opposite you know feeling that you do and i i kind of agree with you you know, I mean, as an author, like, if I wrote a novel, I wouldn't expect it to be ex- adapted exactly the same way, you know, because it's just not, like, exactly possible. There's always room for improvement. So if I wrote something and, like, the director's reading it and he's like, I don't like this part, we're going to change that a little, I'd be interested to see what he would do instead. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think any author ever sat down, wrote a whole book and was like, I'm happy with everything I wrote in there. Everything is perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Everything can always be improved upon. Yeah. Just like there's always someone bigger and stronger if you think you're a tough guy. There's always someone with better, like, ideas if you're, like, a creative genius of some Mm -hmm. sort. Maybe not better ideas because that's, like, completely subjective as to what, if something is better. But, like, I don't know. I just like good different ideas. Like, yeah. It's different if you're doing a remake and you completely change the movie, like fucking Rob Zombie's Halloween. But it's it's understandable <laughs> yeah. when it's like something like Stephen King's It, right. or like Stephen King's The Carnival, or whatever the because fuck. Because you like, don't, you already you don't already have a visual reference. Exactly. You yeah. know, it's really just what's up here. So you can't really call back on anything other than what you imagined 
when you read the book mm-hmm. and so and uh, most of the time that differs when people see it on like the big screen like when i read the great gatsby and then i watched the great gatsby i was like i didn't envision it like this but this is very good oh yeah no i i mean i enjoyed it i mean you know some are better than others we've had some really shitty adaptations this one i think uh personally i i love this movie you know i I only have uh, so many, like, five out of five movies. This is one of them. Okay. And But I know also that there is a good portion of people who actually really don't like this movie. And I'm not sure if that's because they're kind of piggybacking off of, you know, King's dislike of it. Or if they have, like, a genuine dislike of it. You told me that when you first watched it, like, years ago, you didn't really like it. Now, on the rewatch, I think you have a bit you know, higher of an opinion of it. Yeah, I definitely do. For me, it's like a four out of five movie now, nine mm-hmm. out of 10, whatever you want to rate it. Um, I think, I think I was, uh, I didn't understand that much when I was younger and I really couldn't appreciate psychological horror films because I was like a slasher type mm-hmm. of kid. Like all I watched when I was younger was really like slashers and like movies like, uh, you know, Halloween, Friday the 13th, yeah. happy birthday to me. New Year's Evil, mm-hmm. uh, Sleepaway Camp. That's all I watched when I was younger. So this, I mean, this becomes a slasher movie near the end. Mm-hmm. But I think the psychological aspect is what I didn't really appreciate. But what I did appreciate when I was younger is the whole isolated setting, the atmosphere, the music. And now I can appreciate the all of that, the atmosphere, the music, the tension. Uh, you slowly see, like, you know, Jack slipping into, mm-hmm. like, insanity. Uh, the acting in this was amazing. I'm so sad that Shelley Duvall had to endure what she did. Yeah. Because of, like, how she is now. If you haven't seen that, type in Shelley Duvall, Dr. Phil. And it's very depressing. Like, I mean, Jack Nicholson's fine. I mean... Well, Jack I Nicholson's think he's naturally, inherently crazy. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, like, fucking... He's probably... Dude, that's what I want to see. Like, I wanted to see Jack Nicholson and Adam West in a movie together. Oh, man. And Leslie Nielsen. That would have been fucking bonkers now that i think about it i kind of want to see jack nicholson uh, if he's never been as like a uh, dr frankenstein or something oh, just God. go fucking crazy but yeah his no, performance i know they say like shelly duvall is the star of this film and for me sure like she acted in terror like mm-hmm. which is cool you know but jack was legitimately crazy it, it took them like a year and a half to film this you know mm-hmm. so like something like that imagine a year and a half just on set well so uh, supposedly here's the cool thing actually um we both got the recent 4k steelbook of this yes sir um but uh, i think this is also available on other versions but there's a really cool commentary with uh, the inventor of the steadicam and who operated that uh particular uh setup on the shining uh, Garrett Brown and then film historian I think it's John Baxter it's really fascinating I only got like an hour in because I wasn't able to finish it but um, there there was some really cool information in that commentary and one of it was about you know the actual shooting schedule and it was supposed to only take like I forget exactly what it was I want to say like I don't know 200 days or something was like the or like a hundred something days was like the scheduled amount of shoot days and it ended up taking way longer i think it said like almost a year or over a year or something like that but it took way longer than intended and that was, that was mostly because of kubrick so we can really dive into that i think right now uh just for a bit until we wrap up but 
um you know as we mentioned this is was really kubrick's interpretation of it and his interpretation of the novel was more so as a psychological horror film rather than the supernatural film that tackled the whole family dynamic and that tackled the alcoholism and his film it was more of this isolated setting and this this you know terrible uh like location where this indian massacre happened and it was basically an indian burial burial ground thing caused jack to go insane and just kind of repeated this cycle of violence that's been happening at that location for a long time so it was the isolation it was the the nagging from wendy you know having to take care of the family and everything and uh he's he had a a past history of, of violence and like abusing them and alcoholism and everything so some of those themes were there but they just weren't maybe played on so heavily but it was really just about him going crazy and killing them and being influenced by the spirits and stuff but you know but since it was kubrick he had to do his own thing and he was basically allowed to do his own thing he like emotionally tortured Shelley Duvall I guess uh Jack Nicholson there was a a cool bit of trivia where he only ate cheese sandwiches for like two weeks or something like (laughs) that leading up to you know the famous here's Johnny X in the door scene um and he hated cheese sandwiches so it got him like agitated um and then like there were days where what the fuck is a cheese sandwich just like two loaves of bread I mean two slices of bread and cheese yeah I think it's like a an American thing. I don't know. It's yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I mean, there's like a grilled cheese, but it's grilled. Yeah, that, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and then the cheese is, you know, that, that makes sense. But like, just fucking plain bread and cheese, I would go crazy too. He did it to himself. Honestly. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He should have never have told anybody that he didn't like it. But um, but no, Kubrick pretty much took advantage of them for the movie, and hey, it fucking worked. Because Shelley Duvall was insane, Jack Nicholson was insane. Dude, Jack Nicholson was like a fucking tweaker in that movie. Yeah. I like the facial expressions he makes and all that stuff. The only thing that can rival his craziness is, I don't know if you've seen Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah. But Gomer Pyle's craziness when he finally fucking snaps. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really well done. Like, his whole descent into madness, I feel like. I I think that's why... Well, part of why I think this movie is amazing, plus everything is super meticulous, you know, that there's a whole bunch of stuff about how he'd do 40, 50, 60 takes of the same shot. Sometimes he would do insane things to get a shot. Everything had to be like perfectly symmetrical because that's what he wanted. That's how he thought it should be. Um, one scene with Scatman Carruthers as Dick Halloran and Danny took 148 takes. Jesus. So, I mean, that just kind of tells you what kind of movie this is. It's everything happens for a reason. Didn't he have like Shelly Duvall swing a baseball bat like 124 times or some shit like that? Yeah, that's that's what was reported. But then I guess that um, the camera operator at the time said it it wasn't nearly that much or something. There's like conflicting reports, but uh, there's some, yeah, some crazy ass trivia. I, want, I wanted movie. to mention something about Dr. Sleep now. Okay. So like fast forward, mm-hmm. um, I hear speculation from YouTube. Mm-hmm. This is 
my my YouTube research. The scenes from The Shining in Ready Player One are going to be used in Doctor Sleep. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen Ready Player One, there is reference to The Shining. Because, like, I got bored last night. Like, like before I started The Shining, I was like, let me see something. Because I remember The Shining in Ready Player One. Yeah. And I looked, and then I seen some comments. They're like, oh, they're going to be using this in The Shining 2 next year, a.k.a. Doctor Sleep. Wow. So people have known about Doctor Sleep for a minute now, and I don't know how they got this information. But, you know, Spielberg being a huge fan of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, I think he said it was one of his favorite films. No surprise he would put that in, you know, Ready Player One and include all those Easter eggs and everything. And, yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised with them using any of those cuts from Ready Player One in I, Dr. Sleep. I guess I just wonder, like, how they're going to, because, I mean, it wasn't, it was a, like a video game thing, so. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. after watching the video, everything, like, in there looked legit, okay. like, and I'm pretty sure they did actually go to the actual hotel. Uh, some of the scenes were like original scenes and they CGI'd the people in there mm-hmm. and they changed some of like the camera work and stuff. But for the most part, I think it can work. Honestly, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. So we do see from the trailer that they go back or at least that Danny uh, or Dan played by Ewan McGregor goes back to uh, the Overlook Hotel, and it's all, like, decrepit now, and he looks through the hole in the door and stuff. So it's going to be really interesting. So, that, you know, that's kind of something that we briefly wanted to touch upon is that connection to Dr. Sleep. Um, I have read some little plot synopsis. It's definitely going to be a much broader story. It doesn't just take place at the Overlook. You know, it's going to follow Dan as an adult who actually is battling his own bouts of alcoholism and emotional problems, etc., but he really becomes connected with The Shining, and he meets this little girl, and it's this whole thing. So it's going to be interesting. But considering that it's also a sequel to Kubrick's The Shining, which is significantly different in some ways to King's novel, I, I do wonder what kind of things they're going to kind of bring back from Kubrick's film, and how and what kind of things they're they're going to take basically directly from the Doctor Sleep book. So I'm going to be watching uh, like. The, the background of the movie very closely and if i see danny's character and one of the portraits mm-hmm. then we know where this is going uh, yeah i mean i did kind of see like what happens in the book but i'm curious because that was a big thing in the movie that i think was different from king's book was all the pictures and stuff and and that whole like cyclical violence thing or reincarnation type thing that kubrick said was going on in the shining so, yeah, I I don't know. We'll see if history repeats itself, I guess. But I'm very curious. Um, it, it looks different for sure because The Shining is more like psychological horror. This is, is more psychological horror. This is going to be kind of more like dark fantasy horror. Right. It, it's kind of, um, you know, looking like it's going to be. But I've heard nothing but good things so far. I'm really interested and I do wonder exactly how many throwbacks they're going to have to Kubrick's film because uh, apart from the door thing, there was also like scenes of uh, him remembering, you know, going down the hallways on the little tricycle and stuff. And, and they had the old score in there too, just reinvented. Yeah. Which was an incredible score. Yeah. I, I noticed it right um, away when I noticed the, when I saw the trailer. That's another pickup from Kubrick's film that's gonna that's gonna define Doctor Sleep. Yeah. 
I mean, it's 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 menacing, you know, it's sinister. I love it. So I'm personally, I'm glad that that's one of the elements that's going to be coming back. But uh, yeah, I'm actually really excited for it. Um, I don't have too much else to say about The Shining. I mean, it was not super critically acclaimed when it came out, but now it's considered a horror masterpiece. I, I think it's a genius film in so many ways. And you know, even King, who hated it as an adaptation, did concede that it was actually an important film for the horror genre oh, yeah. and was ultimately a good film. I mean, so, it, so. it was like the one film in the 1980s that wasn't following the slasher craze. Yeah. And that's saying a lot because everybody capitalized on the success of Halloween. Yeah. Everybody. Or at least in a much, much different way because while, yes, at the end, it kind of turned into a slasher more or less... Like it wasn't all, about that though. Yeah, you know? it wasn't all like of the haunting count. stuff, all of those like seemingly random shots of like the old woman and the fucking dog going down on the guy, like all that shit. It was it was relevant because it led up to that point. Yeah, to Jack Jack's descent into madness. Yeah, it was that Freudian psychological terror, and it really worked. And you know, as people who have not read the King novel, as a as a horror film, I think it's incredibly effective, and I do think. Uh, it's probably as close to one of the, you know, horror masterpieces as you can get. So, and it doesn't feel like it's two and a half hours long, too. That's the thing. Yeah, not really. And you know, I was actually kind of thinking about it that this um, almost is kind of similar to the Lighthouse. So it's convenient that this. Oh is yeah. A discussion that's happening right after we discuss that movie because I do find similarities, you know. And yeah, you're right. The pacing is actually really good because even though it's a lot of kind of going day to day as they live and take care of the overlook hotel there's still like subtle things that are happening all the time that are giving us like access to all the crazy shit that happened there and how the story's evolving and everything so yeah it's it's really well done everything really tied into the end and it wasn't like there wasn't that much exposition you had to kind of draw your own conclusion through like jack's interactions with like the hotel itself and like the ghosts and like yeah even i mean Danny, I mean, the shining that he and what's his name had. Dick Halloran. Yeah, yeah, that they've, I mean, if Dick Halloran had the shining, why didn't like Danny warn about his dad hiding around the corner with the axe? Oh, well, I don't think he knew that was there. I think when they were communicating, he probably, well, I don't even think that Danny fully grasped the shining, but it was probably like, maybe he was, you know, scared. So maybe Dick Halloran kind of noticed that, or maybe he just told him like, Hey, my dad's going crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. That was an incredible scene, though. I mean, that was a brutal scene. One of the only actual, like, gory scenes in the movie, but it was, it worked really well. Oh, yeah, Jack Nicholson looked like yeah. a real madman while <laughs> yeah. that was happening. One more thing I wanted to mention, too, that I really liked about Kubrick's film that I hope kind of becomes uh, adapted in Doctor Sleep 2 is just the lack of, like, digital stuff yeah so interestingly enough they go over this in the commentary too there was only one special effects shot in the entire movie of kubrick's shining and it was that one scene where it's going top down on wendy and danny in the maze okay that was the only special effects scene they actually shot it uh from an apartment roof looking down on a scale model of the maze that they built. 
Oh, shit. and they composited another shot of the maze onto it. And that's it. Everything else was in camera. So done practically all the snow is like salt and like styrofoam or something like that. Yeah. And all the, um, you know, scenery and everything is all real and stuff like that. So I hope that they keep that because that's one of those true, like everything is as it is pretty much movies, you know, Yeah. all the blood and everything. So I, I really hope that, uh, Dr. Sleep isn't too CGI heavy and stuff. I know Mike Flanagan did some of that with, um, the haunting of Hill house, but he's a great director, I think modern day. So I'm excited for it. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to say about The Shining uh, at this point. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I have nothing I really want to add other than the fact that my opinion on it has changed since the years have gone by. Uh, for years, I was saying like, yeah, I watched that movie. I didn't really like it other than like the, the feel in it and then the ending. But, you know, as you get older, you start to form an appreciation for like genre films. And this was one of them. Like this is probably one of the first ones I've ever watched that was like, true horror like no like comedic relief really no like besides the dude getting a blowjob from that guy dressed as a bear (laughs) yeah but even then it's like what the fuck yeah that was a what the fuck moment that wasn't really funny but yeah yeah i think uh i think it deserves the recognition it gets uh i don't think stephen king has the right to voice his opinion on movies if (laughs) i mean yeah like it is his work but at the same time you know, it's it's an adaptation. Hey man, so. you let the guy fucking make it. Yeah, and it's and it's Kubrick, so it's like you can talk shit about it, but at the end of the day, he did what he wanted to do, and that was pretty much it. Nobody could really tell him any difference. Yeah, so. Kubrick was a gangster. Period. Yeah, yeah, he didn't really give a fuck. He was like, "I'm gonna make you do sixty takes of this, and if you're not going to, then you can just leave, and I'll find somebody else who will." Basically, is how it was. Like the Steadicam operator, he said that he like ultimately loved the experience but that it was grueling yeah i I believe it so um yeah but incredible film we're both excited for dr sleep make sure that you guys tune into the next episode where we will be reviewing dr sleep and that's going to be in episode 83 but tell us what you think about the shining and any of the other stuff that we talked about in the news earlier you can hit us up on facebook and instagram at grave discussions and then on twitter at grave disc srd And you can also check out the website, gravediscussions.net, where we always have the newest episode. Um, We have the episode archives, articles, a bunch of other stuff. So go do that. And that's going to wrap it up for episode 82, Fiends. Make sure you tune in next week where I give you my special lasagna recipe here on Grave Discussions. (laughs) You can't have my recipe. I was lying. This has been an SRD production.